0: Let's go ahead and look to the word with the Lord of Prayer, and we'll get started. Amen. Father, we are just so thankful for your presence this morning. <clears throat> we know that where more than two are gathered, you indeed are with us. You are here with us. And Lord, we need to feel your presence this morning. Lord, we need your reassurance. We need your encouragement. We need your reassuring word to come forth, not my words, but your words through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, bless us and keep us at this time that we may indeed hear you speak to us, hear it clearly. And Lord, that we remain in prayer all day long and focus on you. And Lord, we want to focus on you and not focus on what the world does. The world has its own agenda. But Lord, you have an agenda for us that's just good for us. And Lord, everything that you do, sometimes may be hard. Sometimes it may be difficult. When you teach us, you give us instruction. But Lord, we need to hear it. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing and all that you continue to do. Lord, for the hearts in this room who do not know you, Lord, I pray that the Spirit speaks to those hearts right now that you indeed will impart your wisdom and guidance and show that you are a good God. You're a God who loves us before we even knew how to love. Thank you for your teaching. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday mornings are not the only days, obviously, that we sit in church and learn more about God. I don't want to make any assumptions. You know, most people probably already know this, right? Because we recognize that every day that you live, every day that you're around in the body of Christ, it's a day of learning about God. Every day is a day of learning about God. Amen? Amen. Every day. Not just on Sunday mornings. Sunday morning is a gathering time for us. We get that. I understand that i got to mention this because there was a time in your life where you did not live your life every day for the Lord. No. Amen? Amen? I'm glad that some of you are being honest about that. Because there were some days we said, nope, I don't want to live for the Lord. I want to do what I want to do. And I'm referring to that time of your life when you were an unbeliever. Now, I'm going to leave it there because... We're going to make the assumption right now that there are no unbelievers here, but there may be. But if you're an unbeliever in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You're living for yourself. An unbeliever has no innate desire to learn about living a life for God. There's nothing internal that would drive you to want to learn to live for God if you're an unbeliever. I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ until I was 26 years old. And I can tell you without a doubt in my mind. That it was not on my own effort that I made it to age 26. To come to a place where I knew that I needed Jesus. Jesus had to carry me. To a time and place in June of 1986. To realize that I needed him as Lord and Savior. June of 86. A long time ago. I had to come out of a place of foolishness. And utter lostness. To a place where I knew it was time to grow up. Time to grow up. And it is that same truth for all of us when we knew it was time to acknowledge that Jesus was Lord. Those of you who are believers, you knew you had to come to that place and say, you know what? It's time to grow up. It's time to live now and point to Jesus as Lord. Now, I use the words foolishness and lostness with intent. Because when I was a non-believer, I was living for myself and only myself. I was much, it was much like living as a child and behaving in a childish manner. I still had a lot to learn. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at verse 11. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Some of you will recognize this verse. Very important for us to see. And the verse is written in such a manner where it does apply to all of us, whether we're believers or not. But let's just take this example here. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. It was up to me and me alone to decide to become more like a man, like a man in my life, like an adult. Amen? An adult. Sometimes we make jokes today about hashtag adulting these days. Adulting, that's a, that's kind of a newly created word where you're living in an adult-like manner. And that means what? Making important decisions in the present and the future that are necessary to carry out in order to live and function within mainstream civilized society. Adulting is a modern way to do the things that you need to do. Stuff that you were taught a long time ago. This is nothing new, amen? What things did you need to learn how to do? You had to learn how to keep a roof over your head, amen? How to keep the lights on. How to keep the heat on. How to go to work. How to get a car to get to work. And dare I say it, pay your taxes. Amen. This is all adult stuff. This is adulting stuff. And we're reminded of that statement, the only thing that's certain is death and taxes. Well, guess what? Taxes were around in Jesus' day. You gotta pay taxes. Others have associated legal age to adulting, but I say to that, not so fast. Legal age and adulting don't always correlate. There are plenty of people who are legal age, but are far from adulting. Amen? Amen. You may know someone. And legal age is what, 18? Well, anything past 18, you're supposed to be an adult and act like an adult. In fact, adulting for those who are legal age can be non-existent within their personality. Non-existent. When I was 18 years old, I can assure you that my idea of being an adult was strictly related to doing what I wanted to do. Even though I thought I was an adult, I was still acting like a child. I was still doing childish things. Now, we're not going to get into all those childish things that I used to do. Amen? 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 But you know what you used to do. Amen? And I hope you still ain't doing them. (laughs) Amen. I'm using myself as the illustration to tell you that if all of us are being honest with ourselves, we can all point to those moments in life where we were immature. We were immature. And you know what it is when you're immature? You do something and you don't care what other people see it. (laughs) You just act up. I don't care what people have to say. I'm going to do it anyway. Immature. We even have those moments when we become believers in Jesus, too, when we act immature. Now, don't we? No amens coming from, oh, one amen came from that. Everybody else said, nah, I'm not going to admit to that. The body of Christ is made up of different personalities that have different levels of maturity when it comes to our faith. We do have different levels of maturity when it comes to our faith. We're still works in progress when it comes to our faith. Amen? We are. are. This is all, this is all, we're all friends here. We all understand that. Even if this is true, we have to all continue to grow and mature in our relationship with Jesus. Here's a couple of questions for you. You can write them down for yourself. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And of course, that's going to be a yes or no answer. There may be a maybe in there somewhere for some of us. The second question is that do you want to know more about Jesus? Because if you think you're not sure, you need to have a yes to that second question. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Our maturation in Christ has to begin with us. Has to start here. Has to start with where we are. In the Lord today. has to start with us. We need to know more about who we are. To grow in our relationship with him. We need to be honest about who we are. That's the key. Are you honest about who you are in Christ? Because we can say all kinds of things. But if you're not being honest with yourself. You're wasting your time. And what I've found over the years is that a lot of people are just not honest about where they are when it comes to their faith. We had a communication earlier in Sunday school talking about a lot of churches out there. They're more into fellowship. But they're not following Christ. They're more into glad handing each other. They're more into singing songs and saying, great job. But when it comes to following Jesus, that's secondary. That's not this church. Christ is always first in this church. Christ will always be first in this church. Always be first. And we like to have a good time. But at the end of the day, Jesus comes first. And before you say, other oh, churches don't do that, well, yeah, they do. They will not put Jesus first. We've had people come here, leaving other churches for that reason. We need to be honest about who we are. We need to have a very good handle on our own personal attributes. In the same manner, a way to learn more about God is to learn about His attributes. The God that we read about in scripture has character traits that help us to begin to know more about who he is. We're going to look at some of God's character traits. We're going to cover these today, but we need to note that these attributes are just a start in learning about the character of God. These are not all inclusive. You know why? Because we can never completely grasp all of God's character traits because we're human. We have human limitations to our understanding of God's complete character. But he does give us indicators. He does give us things to look at. Hopefully these are going to inspire you to go to God's word and learn more as you study him for yourself. Because at the end of the day, that's why we said earlier, Sunday is not the only day to learn about Jesus. It's every day. So what all of us should be doing after we leave church, we can reflect on what was said. Some people forget immediately what was said. As soon as they leave out the front door or the back door. But we need to reflect upon what's being said through the power of the Spirit. And now you open your Bible and crack it. Day after day. A good place to start is a passage that describes characteristics of Jesus in the present and future. In the present, he is the risen King of kings who overcame death for us. And you'd find that in Revelation 19, verse 16. And in the future, he is our Lord forever and ever. Revelation 22, 13. But let's turn our Bibles and electronic devices to Isaiah chapter 9. Let's look at Isaiah 9 and let's look at verse 6. Now, I'm going to give the King James Version of this Bible. And the reason for that is because... The King James Version actually represents this passage a little bit differently than in others. It's because of one comma, by the way. But Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. In the King James Version, there's a comma after Wonderful. Because we need to see that this is an attribute of Jesus. By itself. Wonderful. And even Jesus refers to his own reference of calling himself Wonderful. Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Each of these names of Jesus call for the mature believer to do what? Give him his due. Give him his praise. If you understand what these words represent in your life, he is worthy of what? Our praise. Amen? Amen? He's worthy of our praise. We just got through saying in Sunday school that Jesus calls himself the author of all life. Isn't that worthy of praise? He's the one who gives us life. He is wonderful. He's the one who gave himself for those who believe in him to have eternal life. It's because of his deep love for us that we are compelled to do what? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's such a wonderful mystery that what he's done for us. That's from Philippians chapter 2 verse 12b. That's the second part of that verse. Work out our own Salvation with fear and trembling. We have salvation, but this salvation is so wonderful and so marvelous and so magnificent. It's like, Lord, why did you do this for me? Why did you do this for me? The least deserving of all. You see what I'm getting at? You've got to be a deeper thinker when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. It sometimes requires deeper thought. Yes. Sitting and reflecting on what God has done for you. And you haven't done anything other than believe in Him. Amen. Amen. In this effort, we can truly learn more about ourselves. And how we truly can't do anything without Him. What can you do without Jesus? Not a thing. Amen. He doesn't want us to live a life without purpose. He wants us to live with purpose. Your life means something. You know what Satan does? Satan tries to tell you or will try to convince you that you're insignificant, that you don't mean anything, that you are always going to be jumped on. You're always going to have issues. You're always going to have problems. Satan wants you to go as far away from God as you can go. That's what his goal always has been and always will be. He's a liar. And the father of liars Stop. Listening to his lies. He doesn't know how to do anything else but lie. So why believe him? You know, you guys know when someone's lying to you. Well, guess what? Satan lies all the time. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. Philippians 2, verses 13 through 16. There are no accidents when we cover certain things in church. We covered some things earlier today in John chapter 5 about Jesus speaking about himself. And he was always obedient to the Father. He always listened to the Father's will. That was his purpose in life on earth for us. He lived in obedience to the Father. Look what he says to us here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. This is the Christian Standard Bible version. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Did you get that? Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. You see that? You have a purpose. You have a purpose. And I don't care what you do, I don't care what your vocation is. I don't care where the Lord placed you. You have a purpose in that place where you are. We are to learn more about the character of God as we hold on to his word. And we need to know the character of God. We need to know who God is. That's what strengthens our faith. Let's take a look at the attributes of God, the person of God. The person of God, shall we? Let's do that. First of all, God is all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. God is all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. The first 16 verses of Psalm 139 describe his omniscience, that's the knowledge of everything, his omnipresence, because he is everywhere, Amen? And His omnipotence, His almighty power. Now we're going to cover, go to Psalm 139. We're going to cover verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. All-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. And we need to say this. Because a lot of people put God in a box. What do I mean by that? Well, I know that what your word says that you're all knowing, but you can't know how I'm feeling. Really? He knows all about you. He knows everything about you. He knows when you're being good. And he knows when you're being bad. He's not Santa Claus. But he knows. Lord, you can't possibly know anything about what's going on in my life. Well, that's a lie from Satan. Why are you listening to Satan? Verse 13, Psalm 139. I'm trying to refocus back on the message because stuff's coming to mind. So forgive me for that. But we need to understand how Satan lies to us and tries to diminish God in our lives. Amen? Amen. That's what he does. That's what he tries to do. He tries to render believers ineffective. Ineffective. Psalm 139, verse 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. That is an awesome, awesome, awesome passage about how much God knows who you are. He knew about you before you were conceived. And he knows the number of our days. Some people may try to convince you that with everything bad that goes on in the world, God is absent. Or at one point in time, you might remember this, if you were to watch television commercials in the late 60s, for those of you who are old enough to experience that, many people thought God was dead. If you go back, I haven't tried to look on YouTube for old commercials, but go back and look at that. There was one where uh, people thought God was dead because of all the stuff that was happening in the 60s. What was happening in the 60s? Well, there was a lot of turmoil at that time. The Vietnam War was always in the headlines and often reported weekly American casualties on the TV. Huntley Brinkley Report, whatever TV show it was. CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. That's all they had on. Rioting in major cities like Cleveland and Los Angeles took place from 1965 to 1968. And it was just us destroying us. Amen? Amen. Y'all know where I'm going with this. John F. Kennedy, President of the United States, was assassinated. Malcolm X was assassinated. Robert Kennedy, a rising candidate for the President of the United States, was assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Actress Judy Garland died of a drug overdose. Actress Sharon Tate was murdered by Charles Manson and his cult members. That was all in the late 60s.
1: We in our human
0: nature try to process these tragic events with the logic that God was absent or indifferent as to their occurrence. As we study Him and His Word, we learn that this is not true. It's not true. Satan wants you to believe that God is detached, that He's uninvolved, that He's far away, and that He is not, that His Word claims He is. Always remember that. God is aware of everything happening. Amen? Amen. And He wants us to seek Him for wisdom and guidance and of course comfort. Comfort in our moments of uncertainty. Because certainly we go through uncertainty. We're living in uncertain times. He hates sin. He hates sinful acts. That's never changed. Because they are the very antithesis of his nature. He hates sin. He hates sinful acts. Psalm chapter 5 verse 4. Psalm 5 verse 4, excuse me. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells within you. We need to understand that. Now, I'm going to give you some additional statements that are in the category of what we call God is statements. God is. God is statements. Pardon me, you'll see what I mean. First of all, God is spirit. God is spirit. Go to John chapter 4, verse 24. John 4, 24. John 4.24 Now understand something we we understand that God's word is written through the Holy Spirit through different scribes right? He's describing himself John 4.24 God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth God is spirit God is a consuming fire. You'll find that in Hebrews 12, 29. Because that's what the verse says. Our God is a consuming fire. That's all verse 29 of Hebrews 12. He is a consuming fire. First thing you think about when you think about a consuming fire, what do you think about? You can think about the burning bush. Now, the bush that never really burned, but when I think of fire, that's what I think about. God is light. God is light. Turn to 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. 1 John 1 verse 5. I hope more and more you become fans of John, the writings of John. Of course, John has just has that relationship with the Lord that is, in my opinion, was very close. And of course, he penned the book of John and he penned Revelation too, along with the other uh, letters of John as well. But John, first John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. What do we typically attribute darkness to? Satan. The occult. Occultic practices. Satan worship. And if you think that Satan's not worshipped out there, there are people who will put it on their cars and say, I follow Satan. Because I saw one the other day, riding on 480. Because they think it's cute, or they think it's cool to be different. Sorry, that's the wrong camp to follow. Amen? you got to understand, you're going to be talking to all kinds of folks. You don't know where they're coming from or what they're thinking about. But as we speak to people about Jesus, pray that God reveals to them their folly. We just got done talking about how before we were believers, we were acting crazy. Immature. Well, immaturity runs rampant today. And I would hope that it's not rampant in the body of Christ. And finally, God is love. Love. God is love, and boy, we need that. We need to look to the Lord for love. Flip over to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Same letter, same epistle, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Now this is kind of a, it's a true statement, and for some of us it could be an indictment at the same time. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then drop down to verse 16. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Why? Because we see his character. We see he demonstrates for us how much he loves us. You better believe it's really important to understand that we're living in an age of grace. Living in an age of grace. And what do I mean by that? The angels who defy Jesus, they condemn themselves immediately. They don't have grace. They're in torment. We, however, because God loves us, set a savior for us. There's no savior for the angels that fell against him. He loves us. He wants every person to have the opportunity to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That includes your family members, people that you know who don't know the Lord. Do you see how important it is for you to be in prayer all the time? God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. That's the second part of verse 16. Sorry. Didn't read that, but that's important. If you get nothing else out of this message, always default your thinking About who God is by remembering that he is a God of love. If you walk away from here and you don't get anything else out of this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Your very existence is proof of how much he loves you. You're here because he loves you. You're here because he loves you. You may not be experiencing love from others, but the one who created you loved you from the very beginning. Isn't that what we just read in Psalm 139? Loved you from the very beginning. In a world where love is absent, and today it's hit or miss, isn't it? Largely absent. Absent. God wants us to live in such a manner that we are replicating the love of Christ in our own comings and goings. We should be showing, sharing with others. It might be on our face, maybe the Spirit's going to do it, but we're showing others that God is love. That's how we're to live. That's what we need to focus on. We covered this earlier with the description of Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6. God is eternal! Eternal! God is eternal. Turn to Psalm 90. Let's look at Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 90. Verses 1 and 2. This will also be the christian Standard Bible version. God is eternal. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity. You are God. That's an awesome passage. That's an awesome passage. You know, the Psalms are poetry. It's poetry. And sometimes you have to read them with the emotion of poetry to really have a greater understanding of how God is speaking to us. Well, these are His words. Did you know that God is not limited by time and space as we are? We had a conversation, my wife and I, in the car. I actually thought about this a little while back. You know, when we talk about where we are today in life and the afterlife... It's not that far apart. God is not limited by time or space. And my wife gave an analogy about some book. I forget the book now. That's my fault. Oh, you're talking about the curtain being pulled back? I can't remember now. But it was a book that she had read about how it's almost like when we pass from one place to the other, it's almost like there's a curtain being pulled back in the sky. And the Lord is right there and present. And we talk about how the sun is like 93 million miles away from the earth. Give or take a few million miles, whatever it is. And the moon is X number of days away in travel from space travel. You know, that means nothing to God. It means nothing. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. As we mature in our faith, we can be like Paul with the expectation we will be with the Lord for all eternity. Our soul upon death leaves the body and will reside with the Lord. Death is not to be feared unless you don't have a saving knowledge of Jesus. Note that the deaths of Lazarus and the rich man describe a relatively immediate transition of their souls from their earthly existences to the afterlife. That's in Luke 16, verses 22 through 24. We're not talking about a lot of time passing. Nobody's in a spaceship. It's immediate. With the knowledge that God is eternal, we are to live in confidence of the victory that Jesus has over death And through his salvation, our souls will be with him one day. Amen! Amen. That's a praise. He's got our eternity taken care of. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 real quick. Romans 8 verses 24 and 25. I'm trying to keep you busy here. Romans 8 verses 24 and 25. Now, I don't know what version you have in the Bible, but I'm going to be giving you the version from the New Living Translation only because I love how this is being spoken for us to really understand the goodness of what God is doing for us. Romans 8, verses 24 and 25. Romans 8, verse 24. We were given this hope when we were saved. Oh, we were. Oh, wow. We were. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something yet we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Are you confident in your salvation? One day we're going to leave this earth. And yet Paul had to be reminded he had to be patient because he still had, he would much rather be with the Lord, but he said, you know what? But right now I've got this work to do here. You all have something to do here. You're living out your purpose for Jesus right here and now. Your time's going to come when you're going to leave here. We're not rushing anybody out of here. Amen? Amen. Amen. i not rushing anybody out of here, but, but until you die, you've got a purpose. You've got an opportunity. Now here are some other things we need to understand about God too. Our God is a jealous God because he said so. <laughs> He's a jealous God. He's jealous about what? He's jealous about his people. He's jealous about the love of his people. He doesn't want his people going after other things. He is also an avenging God and a wrathful God. Now nobody wants to hear about that, but you know what? Sometimes we try to take matters into our own hands and the Lord says, nope. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. They're going to get away with it. They're going to run. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Really think. That someone's going to get away with something. Okay, so they don't face justice here on earth. So what? Live in patience. Live in confidence. Nothing gets past the Lord. He knows everything about what's going on. He said so into the prophet, through the prophets in the Old Testament. They will surely pay for what they have done. And I'm talking about some of the worst stuff you could ever imagine. They ain't getting away with anything. Don't you worry about it. You're wasting your time worrying about this stuff. Turn to Nahum. See if you can find Nahum real quick. Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1. For those of you who have electronic devices, you'll find Nahum right away. You just go in there and... Hit the N-A-H and do the abbreviation, just click it on there. But Nahum, he's one of the prophets. Nahum, chapter 1, we're going to read verses 2 and 3, and we're also going to read verse 7. It's going to reiterate everything I just said about the jealous God and all that. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and then verse 7. Uh, verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. Did you get that? The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. His path is in the world. Let me stop there for a moment. We waste too much time worrying about what happens to other folks. Worry about yourself. Amen? Amen? Worry about yourself. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is oh, I read that already. The Lord would never leave the guilty unpunished. His path is in the whirlwind and storm. And clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Verse 7. Praise the Lord for verse 7 here. The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord. In those short verses, you saw all kinds of things about God's character, didn't you? Nothing gets past him. And he loves you. Finally, we're going to conclude that our God is holy. Turn to first Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1 verses 15 and 16. Our God is holy. And we need to talk about his holiness because we need to recognize that he has a standard that we need to live by. God is holy. God is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And we'll look at another passage, a couple of passages after this too, so keep your fingers ready to move. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. You hear this? For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You set the example. You set the example of holiness in your household. If you have an unbelieving spouse, you set the standard for holiness in your household. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. You believe the Lord. You love the Lord. You set the center for holiness. Where else is this written in Scripture? Go to Leviticus 11. Go way back. Leviticus. Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45. The great thing about Scripture is that you'll find corroboration of what you read in one place, sometimes somewhere else. And it's good that the Lord is... The one thing the Lord is, he's holy, he's also very consistent. He's very consistent. He is our unchanging God. He has never changed. His word is eternal. Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God, so you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not defile yourselves by any swarming creature that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. So you must be holy because I am holy. Uh, Move over to chapter 20 in Leviticus. Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20, verse 7. Leviticus 20, verse 7. Leviticus 20, verse 7 says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. If the Lord is your focus, you will do all these things. You will strive to do what? Hide the word in your heart that you may not sin against him. Amen? That's what we do. We serve a holy God. As you continue your spiritual journey, let the Lord speak to you as to his own character. And may you see him as you grow in Christ. With what? Greater praise. Greater reverence. For who he is. And sometimes we have to stop and look at who we are. As we look at who he is. Amen? And we recognize all the things we talked about before. Man, we used to be immature. Man, we just did not have it together. But look at the God. Who loved us in spite of our foolishness. Amen? Amen. We are no longer to act like immature children, but to live as children of God. Children of God. He will know you by your fruits. He will know you by your fruits. Everyone else will know you by your fruits. One more passage, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. 1 John 3, verses 1 through (coughs) 3. And John tells it like it is for us, because that's what John does. He gives it to us straight. He tells us all about this love of God, and how God loves us. And how we, if we don't know love, or we don't know God, we don't know love at all. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. Amen. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears... We will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What a friend we have in Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. May we live in such a manner where as we learn more about him. We grow more. Individually. There's always room for improvement. God shows us this. But God loves us. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the lessons that you teach us and you continue to teach us. We thank you, Lord, for your very presence in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for how you hold us dearly. And we thank you that you as a God are always present. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Lord, when we call on your name, we just thank you for responding. And Lord, for those of us who do not know you, may they call on your name that they may be saved. That's a promise in scripture that you will be present and answer that call no matter where it comes from. Lord, may we have the mindset to keep praying for others who do not know you. May we always be in you, in your very presence each day as we go forward. Bless us and keep us, Lord. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.